I'm guessing at one point or another, most of us have said something and then immediately regretted opening our mouth. We've, we've put our, our foot in our mouth, so to speak. Anyone else to admit you've shared a word or two you shouldn't have and then right away said, oh, I, I, wish, I wish I would have put that back, back in the, the tube. I'm guessing most of us have. Uh, one of the more memorable moments from my childhood is from the baseball field when I was nine or ten years old. And actually, I, I should say it wasn't uh, what happened at the baseball field. It was actually what happened when we got home. When we got home after the baseball game, I said a word fairly loudly during the game that my mom wasn't too fond of. I knew a few bad words at the time. And the word that I used wasn't one of them, so I figured I was, I was safe. I figured it was okay. Well, when we got home, I had one of the more uncomfortable conversations a son can have with his mother all around one little word. Whether it's saying a, a word that we don't quite understand or know the definition to, using inappropriate or culturally insensitive language, we're stretching the truth while telling a story. What we say and how we say it matters. It's important. We are about halfway through our series through the book of James, and I've invited us to, to see this epistle and really to see the season of summer as an opportunity to hit reset. To, to hit reset and say, okay, okay, this is what it means to live out my faith. Jesus reminds, or Jesus, excuse me, James reminds his readers over and over again that following Jesus is about actually living our lives in a certain way. Our faith is experienced by others through the way that we act, through, through our actions, which include the language we use as well as the language that we don't use. So picking up, starting at the beginning of chapter three, we read this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in, in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Comforting, huh? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So last week, Faith was here preaching and she unpacked the passage that comes up most often when we talk about the, the, the book of James, and, and it's out of chapter 2, the line, faith without works is dead. At the beginning of chapter 3, in just one sentence, James, he, he, kind of, he kind of turns the focus, the focus of his message. And he, he addresses the leaders or teachers in the church. Over the years, our, our denomination has struggled with what to call people who are in my position. To some, I'm a minister of word and sacrament. To others, I'm a teaching elder. To most people in the world, I'm a pastor. If I'm out in the world and someone says, hey, what do you do for a living? I say, well, I'm, I'm a teaching elder. They say, oh, that's, that's, interesting. That's, that's interesting. I say, I'm a minister of word and sacrament. They say, oh, that's, that's interesting. But when I say I'm a pastor, they, they get that. All respond to nearly any title, but what James starts with in chapter 3, that first verse, it's unsettling. It's essentially, don't be in a rush to be a teaching elder. You'll have a ton of responsibility. You'll be held to strict standards. Gee, thanks, James. Most weeks when I get up here to preach, it is an absolute privilege. From spending time earlier in the week opening up God's Word and, and diving in deep and trying to, to unpack the language and, and look at what's, what happened in that culture during that time, I love preparing to preach on Sunday morning, and, and I love delivering the message as well. It really is a joy to unpack Scripture for me. Hopefully it is for you as well, but it's a joy to unpack it with you. And I'm certain that Pastor Daryl or, or Faith or Portia or whoever is up here preaching feels the same way. At least we feel that way most of the time. But there's a certain weight that comes with that joy as well. It, it's pretty rare that, that when I get home on a Sunday afternoon, I don't have the thought of, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh man, I, I didn't, I wasn't so clear on that, on that point. James starts here with the responsibility that the people like me, that preachers have as they teach from the Bible. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, hey, just the preachers have the responsibility. Just the teachers have the responsibility. The rest of you, you can do whatever you want. He doesn't stop there. The truth is we all carry a responsibility when it comes to the words that we use. We need to be careful with them. In Matthew chapter 15, right after Jesus steps out, or Jesus, excuse me, Jesus walks on water and he invites Peter to step out of the boat and walk toward him, we read about a really interesting encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are concerned that Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands before they were eating. They weren't taking, taking part in the, the traditional ceremonial washing before they were, they were eating food. And, and, and they, they say, why, Jesus? Why isn't this happening? And, and he responds to the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. You break plenty of the traditions yourselves. And then he says, look. Look. It's, it's not... What goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out. It's what comes out. The disciples witness the confrontation. And they later ask Jesus, Jesus, we need an explanation. 
And Jesus actually comes down pretty hard on the disciples in that moment. He, he says, how can you be so dense? When you open your mouth and speak, you reveal what's truly in your heart. Our words matter. They reveal who we really are. They reveal what we really believe. So throughout this series, I've mentioned that James often appears to be, to be harsh, but really, that, that harshness that we read sometimes in, in, in his letter today, it, it comes from this, this passionate place where he really just wants to communicate that following Jesus means that we act in a certain way. He, he's calling to the church, let's get back to that reality. Let's remember who we are. Let's act that way. And here he's saying, let's speak as though following Jesus is important. In our passage this morning, James echoes much of what Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 15. In verse 2, he offers a a sliver of grace. He offers them a, a sliver of grace. He says, look, none of us is perfect. We all stumble from time to time. He writes, if a person could tame his or her tongue on their own, then they'd be able to control their entire body. At first glance, it's almost as if he's saying, hey, take a breath. You can't do this on your own, so why even try? Why even try? You you, you can't master it on your own, so why even try? But that's not his point at all. He's not giving us a, a license to say whatever we want, to just kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, well, we can't do it. We we can't do it, so so I'm just going to give up. He's exaggerating or he's being sarcastic, to hammer home a reality. We cannot tame our tongues under our own power. We cannot tame our tongues under our own power. So we shouldn't begin to think that we can control our entire body under our own efforts. It means we need some help. Sometimes that help comes from the small internal voice that tells us to speak up at certain moments, to stay stay silent at others. Sometimes it comes through a friend giving encouragement or a friend holding you accountable. Maybe it comes through a pastor or a leader in the church opening the Bible and sharing something that you haven't heard about a particular passage before, which causes you to take steps to act or speak differently. The Spirit moves, we're told over and over again in Scripture, in mysterious ways, sometimes convicting us and often reminding us that we're not alone on this journey. I don't think that it's at all a mistake that when the Holy Spirit shows up at the Pentecost moment, that that the book of Acts tells us that it looked like tongues of fire were hovering over the apostles' heads as they shared with others about Jesus. From the inception of the church, since the birth of the church, our words have been important. They're also dangerous. Sometimes we cause harm with them. But that doesn't mean we should stop speaking. We need to remember that as we speak, we're going to make mistakes, that we all stumble 
and that God's grace is sufficient for every bad or misplaced word or that time where something slips out and we think, oh, I wish I could shove it back into the toothpaste too. James continues with two analogies, analogies reminding us that we need to be careful with our word choice. First, a small bit in a horse's mouth moves the whole animal, and then a small rudder helps the captain of a large ship steer it a particular direction. Both images remind us that something small can steer or direct our whole body. At some point in middle school or high school biology, any of you middle school or high school biology teachers here? Phew. I'm going to get by with saying something here then. Um, I remember learning that the tongue in middle school or high school, that the tongue was the strongest muscle in the body. And either my teachers were wrong or I wasn't paying attention. My, my guess is it's the latter, that, that I wasn't paying attention. Uh, my sister's a speech pathologist and I reached out to her and I said, hey, is it true that the tongue, I remember reading that, that the, the tongue is the, the, the strongest muscle in the body. And she said, no, it's, it's actually um, comprised of eight small muscles in the body. But it is the only set of muscles in the body that's not tied to a bone at both ends. There's an important and positive application here. One that we might miss if we, we just read James through that kind of lens where he's always negative or always critical. When we speak in ways that are pleasing to God, ways that point ourselves and point others toward God, it helps to reorient the rest of our body toward God as well. It starts with the tongue, but it doesn't stop there. At verse 5, as verse 5 transitions to verse 6, he, he uses another word picture that most of us in the Conejo Valley can relate to all too well. He writes, the tongue is like a small spark that can set, that can set burn down the entire forest. I imagine that any of us who lived in this community in November of 2018 has a memory seared in their brain of driving along a road as fires came down that road as they crept into our neighborhoods. We know people who lost homes and many of us have friends who chose not to move back into the community and moved out of the area instead. I think most people can grasp this this concept of it only taking a spark to, to get a big, dangerous fire going. But once you actually see the destruction and damage that a fire can cause, James's words, they kind of sink in a little differently. He makes three claims about just how destructive the tongue can be. He says, first, the tongue is a world of evil or a world of iniquity. Among the parts of, of, of our body, it's, it's the same word that, that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2.19 when he writes, everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord must run from wickedness. Must run from wickedness. Then he says that the tongue is the part of the body that corrupts everything else in the body. And lastly, it doesn't just affect our physical bodies, but it can corrupt everything about our life. Our thoughts, our relationships, our work, absolutely everything. 
He doesn't mince his words in verse 6 and in, in, in verse 7. The tongue is restful, is, excuse me, restless evil, full of deadly poison. Or as Eugene Peterson translates, the tongue runs wild as a wanton killer. How many of you remember the, the children's game Telephone? Children's game Telephone. I almost played that up here with the, the kids this, this, this morning. Uh, it starts with one person. Right? Whispering a phrase into someone's ear. Do you want to play it right now? We take the rest of Sunday morning and start here with Daryl and see if it gets to the end of the end of the sanctuary with the same thing. One person starts, they say something in one person's ear, then they pass it on and they pass it on and they pass it on. By the time it gets to the end of the, the line, usually the phrase has changed drastically. It's a great illustration of how rumors can spread and, and how they can change as they're passed from one person to the next, even with the best of intentions. Even with the best of intentions, rumors can be started and spread throughout an entire community like a wildfire. Now, I wish we could say, well, the church is immune to that. We're better than that. But any of you who've been around the church for very long, you know that that's not the case. You know that that's not the case. Unfortunately, triangulation, instead of saying, hey, Darv, I've got this issue with you. I don't really have an issue with you. Instead of saying, going to Darv and saying, Darv, we need to chat. Sometimes we go and we say, hey, Daryl, did you know that Darv said? We, we, we do that. We do that. And James is saying, we see that in the early church. We see that in the early church. And WPC, friends, it's, 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 it's not exempt from that reality. We can do better. We need to do better. It's one of the reasons why in Matthew 18, Jesus tells his first followers that if they had a problem or an issue with one person, that they go to that person and they talk to that person. Darv, I really don't have an issue with you. I'm just keep looking at this. Right. That they go to that person and they talk to that person. To keep the game of telephone from happening. And really, when it happens in a church, it ruins a church. It ruins a church. An important part of taming our tongue is limiting the damage that's caused in the rumor mill. It's surrendering our faults to God. Maybe even confessing to one another that, you know what? There's been a time where I've gone behind your back. And I'm sorry. There's been a time where I've, I haven't stopped that rumor before it started. And I'm sorry. And we can't do that on our own because that's, that's hard. That's, that's difficult. And then on the other end of that, it's offering forgiveness or receiving forgiveness it's in those moments that our words move from being dangerous and hurtful to powerful and life-giving james wraps up the section saying that we praise god one moment and we curse others the next all with the same mouth all with the same tongue but it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't have to be that way for James, the paradox is that our tongues are as destructive as fires and have the potential to corrupt an entire body. And at the same time, they're what we use to bless others. They're what we use to praise the God who creates us in His image. 
So we can come to church on Sunday morning, singing songs, maybe even joining the summer choir, singing songs, and then we can, we can drive home and get maybe, maybe to the Agora Westlake exit if you're going north and already curse a car that cuts you off. Maybe that's being a little exaggeration. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but maybe I've been there. Maybe. There's something freeing and haunting about this passage. On one hand, James says that we can't, we can't tame our tongues under our own power. That's the haunting part. The freeing part is that we don't have to. We don't have to do it on our own. We do have to do it. But we don't have to do it under our own power. James starts this chapter reminding us that none of us is perfect. That we all stumble and yet if we, we think back to the beginning of James, James chapter 1, he writes that God is the source of every good and perfect gift. So while none of us is perfect, we worship the perfect God who can tame our tongue. And so as we work to be intentional with our language, using our words to build others up instead of tearing one another down, using our words to, to glorify God, Let's remember to turn to the giver of every good and perfect gift and to ask that giver of every good and perfect gift for help because we can't do it on our own. Let's pray. Loving God, remind us each and every day that our words matter. Lord, that they can be dangerous, that they can be powerful. Help us to be careful and purposeful with our speech so that our faith in you might be evident to the rest of the world. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.